0: Hello, for Sober Chicks podcast listeners. We are Heather, Meredith, Dana, and Tracy, four women recovering out loud. We gather here from around the world to discuss all things related to alcohol addiction, sobriety, and various paths to recovery. We get real about the highs, the lows, and the amazing reality of living a sober life. This podcast is a creative collaboration by women, for women,
1: and for anyone who supports women. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to For Sober Chicks. We are here with a wonderful guest today, Martha Carucci, and you will be able to find this podcast wherever you get your podcast from, whatever platform that is, and also YouTube. Um, And we'll be posting all of Martha's information as well once we post the episode. So today, I would like to welcome Martha, and I I apologize, I'll be reading her bio. (laughs) Um, Martha Carucci is a popular speaker, panelist, and podcast guest discussing alcoholism, sobriety, recovery, and the power of choice. After falling down steep concrete steps while inebriated, she began her journey to sobriety and beyond. Martha's two books, Sobrieties and Sobrieties 2, Make It a Double, were both the number one new releases on Amazon for alcoholism and recovery literature. She has appeared on numerous television and radio shows, including Great Day Washington, The D. Armstrong Show, The Chad Benson Show, Radio MD, and The Mike Schickman Show. Her writing has been featured in many publications, including the Chicago Sun-Times, brazenwomen.com, VIP Alexandria Magazine, womenyoushouldknow.com, and The Tamed Cynic. Martha studied at University of Pennsylvania, Harvard, and Georgetown. Martha, welcome, welcome.
2: Hey, so great to be with you all. I absolutely love your podcast.
1: Oh, thank you. We are so happy to have you here with us. Um I know you have an extremely busy schedule so we really really appreciate you being here with us. Um so take it away tell us your story and and uh,
2: we'll we'll go from there. Great. Yeah, thank you. Um so I just celebrated 11 years of sobriety on May 28th. Thank you. Um and I actually celebrated 4000 days shortly before that. I I like to count my days. Um You know, I know it's one day at a time, but for me, the longer and the more days I accumulate, the harder it is to think about throwing those all away. So, um, yeah, it's been quite a journey, and um, I just wish that I could put to all the people out there who listen to you all that um, my life is a thousand times better since I stopped drinking And my God, what a completely changed world it is since I stopped, um, you know, there are so many options and, and changes and I'll get to that after I tell a little bit about my story, but you know, this new world of non-alcoholic drinks, it's just like my, it's, it's about my power of choice talk that I give to a lot of people. So, um, I was a lobbyist in D.C. for many years in the telecom industry and, you know, surrounded by going to receptions and fundraisers. And I just thought it was normal to constantly have a drink in my hand. I also love to have a little bit of liquid courage before I had to walk into a room of people and strangers and start talking, uh, which surprises people because they think that I'm very outgoing and, and I am now much more comfortable in my own skin that I don't drink actually. But um, you know most people, I say in my books that I have a broken off switch. Uh, a lot of people would be out, we'd be drinking, they'd be like, you know what, I got to switch to water, I got to cut it off, I got a busy day tomorrow that was a foreign concept to me. More was always better. And, and once I started drinking, it hit all those nice little neural receptors in my brain and released the dopamine and it just wanted more, more, more. So, um, and the first thing that goes, you know, is your judgment. So you can imagine the stupid things and um, the things that I'm ashamed of um, that, you know, just continued to go on. So I was lobbying, I had two children. Um, we had an amazing nanny at home. Um, but I felt extremely torn between going to work, going home, going, you know, leaving my kids in the morning, leaving my colleagues at work. Um, so shortly after my second child turned one, I decided to stay home with them. Um, which is a decision I'm very grateful I made. I don't regret any of the time I had with my kids, but honestly, I kind of lost myself um, being the neighborhood mom ringleader of like, hey, it's Tuesday, you know, happy hour, or hey, we have a PTA meeting, we got a pregame. I mean, it was ridiculous. I was the one filling the stroller with, um, you know, roadies before going trick-or-treating to make it down the street with some wine. And I love that you guys are all shaking your heads because you're like, yeah, I get it. Um so, I stayed home, um had a third child, and my drinking just got progressively worse. Alcoholism is a progressive disease. Um So I couldn't wait until you know, five o'clock rolled around to open the bottle of wine to start making dinner for my family. And that one glass quickly turned to two, which quickly turned to the bottle somehow being com- you know gone. And I would hide it in the recycling bin until my husband got home from work um. So that he wouldn't know I'd already been drinking, and he'd be like, "Hey, do you want to open some wine with dinner?" I was like, "Yeah, that's a great idea." So you know, we would drink another bottle of wine with dinner, and most nights I passed out before I could even tuck my kids into bed. Um, Wake up in the morning, you know, some mornings throwing up, lying on the cold bathroom floor, swearing I'd never do that again. I'm going to quit. And by like three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm like, a little hair of the dog would help. And it just got worse and worse. And it got to the point where, you know, my hands were shaking at 11 in the morning until I could get some alcohol in me. Um, So uh, May, Memorial Day weekend in 2012, I went to New York City uh, with a bunch of girlfriends and it was probably, you know, the, the peak of my drinking where everything was falling apart um I packed more booze to bring on that trip than I did clothes I think they're like why do you have a whole bag I was like well you have to have red wine you have to have white wine you have to have champagne you have to have you have to have like drinks while you're getting ready in the hotel you have to to..." and I thought that was completely normal um so that night I got into a very heated discussion with one of my best friends about the power of choice, basically, and whether or not someone who is an alcoholic has a choice about their disease. And knowing deep down that I had a problem, I argued with her and I was like, no, you know, people who have the disease don't have a choice. They have this disease that constantly makes them require more and more, their body needs more and more alcohol. And she's like, no, you know, we're never gonna agree on on this. You have a choice, whether you go get help or you go to rehab or you wave the white flag and say, I need help. And I just knew, you know, I, I, literally every system in my body, I was bloated, I was yellow, I was sick, I was just a mess. I argued with her because I knew that I had a problem, but I, I just hadn't admitted it to anyone yet. And finally at about four in the morning that night after struggling for hours to physically say the words, I said, okay, look, I have a drinking problem. And she said, I know. And I was like, well, why didn't you do something or say something? And she said, because you had to be the one to come to that decision and make that choice. And now that you have, I'm gonna help you. And went back to the hotel in New York and drank, I think whatever vodka was left on the nightstand, passed out and woke up the next day and um, still probably drunk, still hungover. And she held my hand and said, good morning, sunshine, how are you? And I was like, I'm mortified, I'm humiliated. I'm sick as a dog, I'm ashamed, I'm embarrassed. And she's like, it's okay, you know, you're gonna get through this went back to Virginia from New York, told my husband that I had a problem and, you know, I needed to get some help. So I did. And basically I detoxed by myself. Like I didn't go to a rehab. I just was in bed for a few weeks, miserable. My friends helped me. But the next day after coming home from New York, I got a text from my friend who had gone back to Colorado. And she said, good morning, sunshine. How are you? And I said, sick, miserable. I don't know how I'm going to do this next day I got a text good morning sunshine how are you and it's been 4023 days and she hasn't missed a single day where I get that text good morning sunshine how are you and we have been through 11 years of a lot of stuff um she's been through a lot and so have I and no matter what and no matter where we are we can be in the same room like on a trip we can be on a hike whatever and my phone will ding and I'll get, good morning, sunshine, how are you? So there's someone out in the world who cares, you know, and someone who says, you know, that it means a lot to her to get the text back that I'm still fighting the fight. And um, there were days early on where I wanted to give up and there were days where I was white knuckling it through it. Um, but, you know, I started writing. I never considered myself a writer. When I was a lobbyist and I had to write something, I would do anything to find someone who would like write the testimony or write whatever needed to be done. Um, But I started journaling because I knew that a lot of people in recovery found that very helpful and cathartic. So I started writing this blog and I wrote it anonymously for a year as Sober Mom. And it was just a way for me to kind of share journey and share the first sober christmas and the first sober thanksgiving and and what about your friends and you know friendships that were changing and and marriage and kids and and all of that stuff and um i met an amazing guy whose son was on my in my son's class and we were sitting on a bus together in a field trip and he's a pastor at a local church And we just started talking and I told him my story and he's like, you know, I'd really love to interview you for my congregation on this series that I'm doing. And I'll play your voice anonymously. Um, so I went back and I asked my husband about it and I thought he was going to be like, hell no. Are you going to share, you know, our family's intimate story with anyone. But he said, look, if you feel very strongly about being open and helping others in recovery, why don't you just forgo the anonymity and just go for it? So, my my oldest child, my daughter was about 12 at the time, 11, actually, yeah, like 11. And I said to her, because my two sons were younger, and I said, I'm thinking about sharing my story with people to help other people. What would you think if some of your friends said to you, you know, your mom's an alcoholic, your mom, whatever. and she, without hesitating, just said, mom, I would say that my mom used to drink a lot and she doesn't anymore and i'm really proud of her and i was like done that that's all i needed to hear so um i wrote a piece called coming out coming out party and um i said almost everyone knows someone who suffers in some way or another from addiction or alcoholism it could be any kind of addiction gambling shopping porn whatever and I said if you don't then you do now I'm I'm the one who's been writing this for a year anonymously and I want to share my stories to let you know that the alcoholic doesn't always look like the bum under the bridge with the brown paper bag but this mom that you see sitting next to you in the PTA meeting or at the soccer stands or at the lacrosse field like you know there's no um, alcohol doesn't discriminate. Alcoholism doesn't discriminate. Um, so I was blown away by the amount of support I got and people who wrote back and you know just said way to go. We're so proud of you. I always joke that I was a little disappointed that nobody was shocked or surprised. I was like, where's this? Where's the surprise? Like, no, not you, but you know, um, they were like, good for you, and they've been so supportive. So I continued writing um and published the first book, I think in 2016. And when it came out, it was the number one new release on um in alcoholism and recovery on Amazon. And so I did a lot of interviews then and a lot of you know podcasts. And then the second book came out, I continued to write second book came out right when covid hit so we were going to do a big launch and a big sign but we did a virtual launch um, launch with another podcast called we should talk about it and i don't know if you guys know them but they're amazing amazing women um and we did it recorded and uh video and it was so much fun um But I've had people reach out from all over the world who said that they were able to relate to my books, that they get the concept of the broken off switch, that it made them laugh and it made them cry. And um, I try to tell people that my books are not just for alcoholics. They're not about like, okay, this is it. But it's for everyone, you know, that it's never too late to turn your life around, whatever cross you bear. And um, it's also for the outside world to kind of understand what it's like going through it. Like I said, friendships, my friends in the beginning didn't really know what to do. They're like, do we invite Martha or do we not invite her because we're going to be drinking? And I, you know, I wrote this piece. um, I think it was called How To. It's like, you know, there's every movie about, you know, how to lose a guy in 10 days, and Cosmo has every article about how to please your man or whatever. And I don't see a lot out there about how to be friends with an alcoholic. And I said, you know, basically just, talk to each other and ask the questions, you know, if, if, if they don't know what to do and I don't know what to do, I told them, I was like, it, it, you know, the worst thing you can do as an alcoholic is isolate. So by not including me, and I know all my friends are hanging out and I, I feel even worse. So, um, there was a lot to learn and a lot to go through. Um, so, so the books were kind of my way, very cathartic for me to write, but more importantly, like I wanted to help other people with the disease. Um, So I wrote, recently, you know, redid my website and it's called The Sobering Power of Choice. And that kind of comes all the way around full circle to the conversation I had in New York with my best friend that was, you know, when she said, you have a choice. So after a few years of sobriety, I said to her, you know what, I changed my mind and I agree with you. But here's the caveat. I said, I believe that I have a choice about my disease, about my alcoholism. But I also believe that once I pick up the first drink, I surrender my power of choice to the alcohol, at least temporarily, you know, I can get it back. But um, I do a lot of speaking to, you know, I go to high schools, and I go to women in jail, and to women in transition housing, and just, uh, you know, whatever group to um, try to explain to people that sometimes we don't appreciate the power of choice in our lives. And for me, I don't want to surrender my power of choice to alcohol. I don't want kids or whoever I'm speaking to to surrender their power of choice to another person in their life or a situation. Um, and also, you know, the other side of that is as a society, we're so quick to judge someone and look from the outside at what they're doing, you know, and like, oh, why is she doing this or why is he doing you don't necessarily know what was behind someone's choice or whether they even had a choice. So, um, you know, my full time job is I run a foundation that helps low income and uninsured women battling breast cancer. Those women don't have a choice about getting that diagnosis. You know, they didn't choose to have breast cancer. They have a choice as to how they handle it. And I have been and how they fight it and what treatments they do and how they get up every day and face it. And um, I have been so incredibly blessed to watch and be alongside some women who are so brave and how they handle it. And um, you know, it's just been it's just been quite an amazing experience for me. and I used to just want to numb everything out and um, drink for any occasion. And when I did that, I numbed out the good and the bad and now I would much rather feel everything than feel nothing. So that's a little bit about my background, maybe too much, but um, I'd love to hear if you guys have any questions.
1: Uh, thank you so much for sharing, Martha. Um, you have such an incredible story and and I know that there's so much more to it, and we, we could probably go on about it all day. <laughs> um, but the power of choice is just that that's powerful. it's it's a it's a powerful saying. and and when you start looking at it deeper and deeper, you you think to yourself, you know, if you didn't have that power of choice, like where you didn't choose, to get sober, like how many people you've affected with your sobriety and your recovery, mm-hmm. how many of those folks would still be drinking or still be going down the wrong the wrong path. And um, I just wanna thank you for being there for them and um,
3: for helping them find their power of choice.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.
3: Um, I will echo what she said. I love everything about it. The couple of things that I had, um, written down, you said that there's always someone out there who cares. Um, that really hits home to me because when you are in active addiction and, and maybe in that denial space, mm-hmm. you don't think anyone out there knows mm-hmm. you're even refusing to believe that, you know, you know, yeah. but that's so true. And I feel like once you're on the other side of not only sobriety, but actually like actual recovery. We've said before sobriety and recovery are two totally different journeys. You could be sober and not fully in recovery Mm -hmm. and not free. And you know, you're white knuckling it 4,000 days later, you know, like there's a difference between the two, but I focused on trying to be that someone, you know, to where anyone that I know in my circle or in my life that has chosen recovery, like I've made it so obvious that I am in recovery that I want people to come. So I can be, you know, that one person I had a, um, friend similar to that, where, when she would have her month anniversary, I would text her and I would say another month down, you know, so those little things are so big to people because you want people to know that not only they care about you, but they care about your recovery. So I think that that's absolutely huge. And I think that that's adding a different layer to my personal recovery is when I can be that support or that someone who cares for Mm -hmm. someone else. Um, but another thing that I think my recovery has brought to the table, I can see the people struggling. Mm -hmm. I can, see the people who I can look in their eyes. And I'm like, you are, you're there. Like you are on the path. And whether I have the type of relationship with them to have that hard conversation or not, I pray every day that someone does. Um, because I do feel like, you know, like you said, you're not going to you're not going to get in that spot of wanting to recover until you the person in the issue is wanting to recover. Mm-hmm. Um so I think that that's huge but I see it so often. Mm-hmm. Now, to where I look at women and I'm just like, ooh, like I've been where she's at and it's it's not a good road. So I think that that's for me one of my biggest parts of recovery is is doing what you said. I I want to be that person who cares.
2: And I think, like you said, um, the fact that other women and other people are able to look at you and see your recovery and like, I want what you have and the role model that you're setting and the example that you set, um, it's what we're talking about, you know, recovering out loud. And I always say, I like to take my mess and turn it into a message. And, you know, there, there's such a great saying about, um, you know when we recover out loud we help those who are suffering in silence and there are so many people who are just like you said on the edge struggling um they may not know where to go get help they may not want to go to aa they may be looking for something else and you know the other piece of that is um i the anonymity piece for me and the reason I chose to be very open and out and honest about my sobriety and my recovery journey is um, I kind of feel that anonymity perpetuates the shame. I'm not ashamed of who I am. I'm not ashamed that I'm an alcoholic who has 11 years. Um, when my kids see me post my you know, chip or my um, interviews, they're just like, mom, we are so proud of you. And, and, and that means the world to me. Um, so, you know, there are a few things that people feel very strongly about one way or the other. And when I first started writing, um, you know, I had some woman that I don't even know reach out to me and she's like, you know, you're violating the 11th tradition and you're, you know, you're making people feel uncomfortable. Um, and so I, I was really upset and I just, you know, I took a minute. So I wrote a piece about it. I didn't call her out. I just said, look, um, I did a lot of research on this, and I think the biggest principle and 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 point here is that we respect each other's choices. And again, it's back to the power of choice. My choice is to share my story to help other people, to have them see that. I mean, if I, I wish I could put up on the screen like the before and after picture of me, like I was a mess and a disaster and a green looking. And you know, you have a really genuinely happy person who gets up every day and makes the most of every day. I would never have that had I not gone through this journey. Um, but that's my choice. You know, I choose to talk about it. Um I choose to go out and 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 let people know that there's a better way that it's possible. But I also respect that there are people who have this disease, and for one reason or another, they have to be anonymous for their jobs for their family they're not comfortable talking about it it's a private thing and i completely respect that that is their choice and so i wrote that in the piece i'm like and the piece was called respect like i respect your choice please respect mine that i would never violate anyone's anonymity i would never write a piece about someone or about something without their um you know permission um but this is my story and like you know sorry if you don't approve of me talking about it but I do. And it's worth it for the number of people who have said that I've helped them.
3: Well, and a lot of times, and we've said this before, our recovering out loud makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's holding up the mirror to them. Absolutely. I was just going to say that, mm-hmm. you know, so that's, that's the other side of the coin is, you know, we are reminding people of maybe what their problems are too. Exactly. And that's how I lost a ton of friends, you know, when I became sober and and I did the same way. I didn't go to AA. I didn't go to a center. I did everything on my own. Um, but at the end of the day, there's, there's a lot of people who that's how they struggle
2: out loud. Yeah. And, and we make them uncomfortable, you know, and I can still be somewhere and, 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 you know, having a non-alcoholic drink or whatever water and they're looking at me and they're really uncomfortable because they're holding a glass of wine or something. I'm like, Hey, you do you just please. Like, I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable. Um, so it's very, yeah, it's very interesting. Well,
4: Martha, you didn't make me feel uncomfortable. You helped this sober woman and, you know. I I don't know. I got so emotional listening to your story and listening to what you did, and I think it's because I can relate so much, and that's why, for me, it's so important to you know share our experiences, strengths, and hope because we hear something in someone's story, and your story sounds so much like mine, you know. And I I had that moment where I wanted to come out and uh, tell my daughter that I was an alcoholic, and you know, and and that was like you know when I was ready to tell her, you know, I told her, but you know, she, and like, how are you going to feel about this? You know, what, how are we going to, and she's like, you know, she didn't know what it meant, but, but she was, she was like, okay, let's do this. She was proud of me. Um, it's just, it's just remarkable. Um, and then to hear your friend who texts you daily, I mean, and still does. I'm interested to know, and you don't, I mean, I don't think you said her name, but is she recovery also, or is she just, just a woman who supports women in
2: recovery? <laughs> She, she's not in recovery. Um, she had someone that she lost very close to her to alcoholism. So um, okay, because so she, she sounds so
4: smart and so wise to to understand that it would take you to say it right, and she and she was just there waiting and um, until you were ready, and then she was there, and she's never stopped being there. That's absolutely beautiful. Absolutely is. beautiful. So, I want to ask you about your books. Um, okay, so you were a lobbyist, um mm-hmm. but then you started to write it sounds like you had a website and then you started doing maybe short, like little stories or essays. and then it turns into a book and then another book. So that process for you, um, like how long did it take? does it usually take you to write the book? And then how was it finding a publisher that, you know was it was it a good supportive uh, you know, with a sober, kind of topic and things like that and then how is the book doing now <laughs> um
2: yeah, the so the book really they're both collection of my blog pieces so it's it was a blog that started out um varieties and as I said kind of writing about the firsts and and different things that I experienced and um the first book I was I sent to a proposal to I don't know, a million, one million five thousand nine hundred and two publishers and agents and got the equivalent number of rejections back. And so many of them wrote to me and they're like, we love your writing, we love your story, but you don't have an author's platform, meaning like I've never published anything before. And I was like, okay, that's great, but like everyone has to start somewhere. So um I was sharing about it one day actually in an AA meeting and a guy came up to me afterwards and he's like, my sister's a publisher out in, you know, um, on the West coast. And she has a really small publishing house but she knows I'm in AA and she would love to talk to you. So uh the first book was published by a really small group out on the West coast called Lucky Valley Press. They were amazing to work with. Um, And then I just kept writing the blog and writing and, and the first, so I. I started writing in I think 2013 and the first book was out in 2016. So it was pretty it was pretty quick. And then the second book came out I want to say 2019. So it was just a continuation of the writing. And I went with a different uh, publisher here locally, um, like a hybrid publisher. So they're on Amazon and they're on Barnes and Noble and they're on Books A Million and um some local bookstores and I'll do signings. But um you know, mostly, I think I give away more of them because I just want to help people. Like I'm constantly, people in a meeting be like, oh, I'd love to read your books. I'm like, oh, let me go read you on. But I just, it's more about, you know, being able to, help, like going to a women's jail or into a women's recovery center. How I just give them the books. Um, so, uh, but I really enjoy speaking and, and sharing my story. And I've just met so many amazing people like all of you on the journey. So
4: I was going to ask you, is this like your full-time gig? I mean, speaking, writing, or do you have a full-time job too?
2: No, my full-time job is running the foundation for breast cancer. It's called the National Breast Center oh. Foundation, and we help low-income, uninsured women get screened and treated for breast cancer. So I've been the executive director for that for about eight years. And Amazing. my boss and the board, I, t- I was honest with them from the beginning about my story. They're fully supportive. Um, and I tried to you know, separate my, my worlds and change hats, but there was one day I got a Facebook message from a woman. She said, look, I follow you on your um, foundation website and your foundation Facebook and Instagram, but I also follow you on sobrieties and your personal stuff. And she said, I have a question for you. She said, I just went to my oncologist and he told me that my breast cancer has now spread like everywhere um, and I'm really torn between spending the rest of my days living it up um, or being sober um, to enjoy what I have and I, I I just I had to take a deep breath and I had to really pause and think about how I was going to answer that and I just said you know first thank you for your message and second you know you're in my prayers and third um, everyone has a different concept and opinion about what it means to live it up right and I said you know this is this is your choice um and you're gonna do this journey however you want and again and it's your choice but for me um you know I have this wonderful older woman I respect so much that I've met in recovery and people have said to her you know what happens if you if you you know get sick or something and you know you're not would you drink she said it would absolutely break my heart to drink um and there's just something about facing every day completely present you know i'm present for my kids i'm present for my friends i'm um i'm experiencing life on life's terms right you know just Mm -hmm. um and life is not easy and for me there are times when my go-to was immediately to pick up a drink and now it's learning other ways to cope with it so um no, this is not my full-time gig, but um, it's something that I just, I love to do, and I'm very grateful that I'm able to do both.
4: Well, please keep doing it, and just thank you so much. You're such a beautiful giver. Thank you, Martha. Oh,
0: thank you. So I feel like we've been separated at birth. I'm not sure, like, <laughs> how that happened. Um, They're, like, the the off switch, the mommy drinking culture. I can't even tell you many birthday parties that, like... Oh. I was so intoxicated at um, i started a charity for women with breast cancer in china and i was thinking about that and i did it you know for, i think it's like this it's that drive to help women and to support women who are vulnerable and i'm doing that in a very similar way now through this i think and it's kind of interesting to compare the two of them because um, they're not that different right it's giving a voice to someone who has a disease and sharing that and sharing encouragement and education. And that was a huge part of our platform because uh, in China, there just isn't a whole lot of education about um, about breast cancer, uh, for example. And I think this platform and what we're doing is we're really educating people about all the different choices. And when you talked about how people recover, I'm also a member of the 12-step program and, and um, the ladies can... Remember when we talked about how we got sober, and I shared and I said AA, and then I had a complete freakout one night in the middle of the night, like three o'clock in the morning. Like we have to re-record. I can't say it. And I'm breaking it. I'm like just. I literally Googled like yeah. <laughs> people and in there, and I kind of finally was like, okay, I haven't violated anybody else's anonymity. This is a way that I got sober and it and it's a, a part of my recovery. And that's what we're sharing. You know, we're sharing that that's this is a, a tool. And, and so we left it. But I had the same, like really like big reaction to it. Um, but the point that really resonated with me, aside from all of those other ones, was this power of choice conversation that you had. And and I agree with both of you actually, like I think when you're in the disease and you're in that moment you can't see your choices. And in the world of recovery and the 12-step programs, we talk a lot about powerlessness. And a lot of people have very different reactions and relationships to that. And when I was in active addiction, I was powerless over my thoughts and my feelings and my choices. I just survived. I wasn't making conscious choices. I was just surviving. And I was trying to outrun the pain and outrun the des- the shame and the stuff that i like had created and i couldn't see choice in that like i was just trying to get through the day um and my recovery is my recovery mm-hmm. and the only person that can do it is me and i have to choose that every single day and i had to ask for help but i also had someone come into my life two someones, one that was in the program who really showed me uh, recovery in a way that I could conceptualize and understand that wasn't inpatient psych, that wasn't like, you know, Mm -hmm. um, a dark room with people chain smoking and like, you know, shuffling around. Um, And my best friend who intervened and Mm -hmm. said like, she was really, really concerned that I was gonna end my life um, in a conversation that we had and and that was a critical moment where I decided to go ahead and go to treatment sooner than I had planned because I was at that place, you know, those people that know you so well that they just, they say something that hits to the core. Right. And so I love this idea of kind of this power of choice and how you do it, as well as taking it even further. We get to choose how we recover there is not just one way. Yeah. You know, I love this idea of gray area drinking. Profound. Was it really around when I got, uh, you know, I'll have six years in a couple days, couple, a week, a little bit, whatever. I don't even know what today's date is on the 20th. Um, gray area drinking wasn't a thing. You know, it was bottom, rock bottom. That was the thing then you know and so we didn't have non-alcoholic we had ODULs. and everybody used to say on it, non-alcoholic beers for the non-alcoholic it tasted like it was disgusting nobody you <laughs> know like so <laughs> the power of choice has just exploded as well as like people get to say like this is how i'm going to define it i'm not going to use these words i'm mm-hmm. not going to you know i'm going to go and do this and so it's it's really beautiful i have been how do you see your work in terms of like the last two years and like this the impact of the pandemic we've seen a lot of people dana's one of them our other one of our are one of our first um other hosts lisa both of them got sober in the pandemic like so you saw people that got that really struggled and then people that really used this to yeah. kind of So what have you seen in terms of like your talks and your community and so forth in terms of how that's changed with the pandemic? That's a a great question. But
2: first I just wanna say that Mm -hmm. when you said, I'm also in a 12-step program my gut was like oh crap she didn't say hey she did what I'm supposed to say was a 12-step program I'm like I'm so busted and then you went on to say you know but yeah I just like, I have to stop stressing out about that um like I said it, and you said it it's um there are different ways to recover and we have that power of choice um this whole new world uh one of my very best friends now that I've met you know, through the last few years she opened up a non-alcoholic bottle shop and tasting room in Alexandria and she can't keep the products on her shelves it's called umbrella dry Drinks. she's been featured in rolling stone like every local magazine every like tv because she opened it and that as you know like it's kind of become the in thing all these people in Hollywood you know Blake Lively has her brand and Gigi or Bella Hadid one of them have kin and and there are all these celebrities who are like we're not drinking and um She opened this, this, and there's a bar that just opened in DC called Binge Bar, and it's all non-alcoholic. I went to a mindful drinking festival in DC. Um, So there's this new world with, and like you said, the old stuff was crap, absolute crap. (laughs) Um, And the new stuff is incredible. You know, the the wines that they're making, we used to be able to buy that FRE, like free in the grocery store that tasted like, I don't know, sugar, water, whatever. Um, They're making non-alcoholic wines with grapes from Italy and France that they're removing the alcohol and there's very low sugar the stuff with adaptogens and botanicals again and seed lip and everything um so when I first got sober you know it was like no way could you have a non-alcoholic beer or non-alcoholic drink they used to call it mental masturbation I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on your podcast but that's (laughs) what they said so um so (laughs) For me now, and my friends who see me now drinking some of this new stuff, they're like, I thought you know you, you couldn't do that. And I was like, there is no way for me personally that having a glass of you know Prima Pave or Naughty or the new stuff, celebrating and while everyone else has a drink that I have a non-alcoholic beverage, it will not in any way make me go, oh, I really wish I could have the real stuff. So I feel like absolute crap tomorrow. And then I have the calories and the sugar and the blah, blah, blah. For me, it's a perfect, um, it makes my life easier to go out. I respect, again, that some people are like, no way. It's just too triggering. I can't do it. Again, it's your choice, right? And this is giving us all a choice. So I have to share a quick story that um, when I was about seven years sober, I the for work, for our foundation, um, my boss took a, his staff and me out to to dinner at a local restaurant. And I knew this restaurant and I was psyched because they had a small menu of non-alcoholic drinks. Um, so everyone's ordering their martinis and their Cosmos and it's, you know, holiday time and they're all excited. So I was like, you know, I'm going to have this drink on a mocktail menu. And I was all excited, came in pretty glass. So we're all just chatting and the waiter comes around and says, hey, you know, you guys ready for another round? And they were like, yeah, I have another martini, I have another Cosmos. I was like, I want to try a different one. I want to try this peach drink, with blah, blah, blah. And he's like, okay, did you want that without alcohol? And I said, yes. And he said, cause the first one I brought you had alcohol. And every time I tell that everyone's face drops and they, my heart stopped, I panicked. I looked at him, the people sitting around me who knew I'd been sober for seven years were frozen. And I was like, no, I, I specifically ordered it from the non-alcoholic drink menu. And he goes, yeah, yeah, but it had alcohol in it. Do you want me to bring you the next one without alcohol? And I, I, I was like, you know, for me, what I thought was 20 minutes was probably 15 seconds. And I was just like, no, and here's going through my head. I'm going to have to start all over again. I just threw it all away and da da. And I, I was like, no, like it, it, I ordered it. And he goes, I'm just kidding and i i won't use all the profanity that i wanted to use on there but i all i could say was like i looked at him and i was like that's not funny at all i went outside called my sponsor calmed down i came back in i didn't want to make a big scene because my boss was there was at a business dinner but the next day i called the restaurant and i asked to talk to the manager and i said "Um, look i'd like to tell you about something that happened last night told them who I was. It wasn't like, you you know, I have all these books and I speak and I run this foundation. I just said, look, I've been in recovery for seven years. And when you go to a restaurant and you order something from the non-alcoholic menu, you don't know if that person is pregnant, nursing on medication that they can't mix with alcohol, designated driver. They don't drink for religious reasons or they're like me and they're in recovery, whatever their reason. It's not a thing joke okay it's not a joking manner and he's like Martha first of all let me just say I'm really sorry second of all I'm very grateful to you for handling like this and calling me and third I've been in recovery for 13 years he's like this is not funny and I know exactly the waiter you're talking about I don't train my staff to be stand-up comedians but I'm not just going to talk to him I'm going to talk to my whole staff because and that was you know four years ago and fast forward to now where more and more restaurants are offering non-alcoholic choices on their, on their menus. And it's becoming just much more, I don't know, it's normalized to go out and order something non-alcoholic and not have the people go, why aren't you drinking? Are you pregnant? Why are you, you know? Um, and And the more people like all of you share and do these podcasts and we talk about it, the more people will learn, that, like you don't pressure someone. I I had a woman I was sponsoring. She struggled so hard to get to like three months and she wasn't ready to tell a lot of people. A friend asked her to go for a walk one night. So she went and she's like, you know, I thought that would be fine. But this woman's husband was mixing up cocktails for them to take on their walk. And he's like, here, you know, I'm making drinks. And she's like, no, no, I'm good. And he's like, come on, you can have a drink. And she's like, no, you know, I I gotta work tomorrow. I got a bidet. He's like, oh, you can just take one. And the guy kept pushing that finally she just caved and took it and drank. And she called me in tears. And, um, you know, part of, I think my mission is is to educate the rest of the world that like respect people's choices. If they go into a bar and they order a seltzer with lime or they order a non-alcoholic beer, don't ask them why. Don't ask them like why they're not drinking you drink your stuff, let me drink my stuff. And it's the power of choice, right? But um it is, I think the world is is in this great shift of there's so much more uh, attention around sobriety, around recovery, around the choice and around um, mindful drinking. Like you said, gray area, there's just, and there's so much on social media about it. To me, it's really exciting.
0: It is, it is. And I had a very similar experience um, last summer I was on we do these catamaran cruises and you know you put in your preferences and i do not drink alcohol in any form i can, for me if it's cooked it's okay you put all this in i get on the boat i'm like oh is this the non-alcoholic yeah it's not you know whatever and i go and there's they have these happy hour drinks every night but usually there was options and this woman uh the the, the chef hands me a drink and i said is this non-alcoholic yep it's non-alcoholic and I put I took a swig of it, and instantly my mouth was on fire. And I just spit it back into the cup. And I was like, "This definitely has vodka in it." And uh, I shared this in a meeting, and someone showed me there's a passage actually in the big book about like about fire. If you you know, it was like, but it was such a visceral reaction. Um, she also tried to feed me like whipped cream with Bailey's in it and something else. Like it was just not clicking. And I was like, I do not drink alcohol in any form. Don't put it in whipped cream. It doesn't make it okay. Like, so the next time I went on one of these boat cruises, cause I, it was also this group of people. I have a podcast, but I don't always, I don't wear it as like my Scarlet A, you know, like rolling around and So this and I was like, I'm not doing that again. I'm not doing that again. So I went to the next one and I was like, oh yeah, is this non-alcoholic? Because everybody I'm in recovery. (laughs) I don't drink (laughs) at all. (laughs) And, And it was not an issue. And and I actually had people on that boat approach me later about support for a daughter in law. I had people talking to me about their own experiences with it. I love when people are like, well, you know, I you know, I'm drinking on vacation. But I don't I'm like, I don't have a problem with drinking. I have a problem with problem drinking. I don't have a problem with drinking. I get really uncomfortable when, like you said, Meredith, I see that person that is drinking in a way that I recognize it makes my skin crawl. And I just I feel really bad. My heart goes out and I drop a lot of like, oh, I'm in recovery and I'm sober and I don't drink, you know, and just roll out. Like if they want help, they want help, you know, or if they, you know, they'll reach out. But Yeah. I've had a similar, I'm like, how do you not get this? Yeah. Like (laughs) this is not hard. It's like, don't put alcohol in my beverage. People don't get it. Like I said,
2: I'm kind of encouraged and hopeful that we're getting. We are, we are. It's changing. Yeah.
1: I think my question to all of that is, did we get it when we were drinking? Because I would do the same thing. If my friend wasn't drinking, I'm like, come on, you can have one. Why can't you have one? And, you know, the whole joking around. And, and it, it was almost offensive to me when people didn't want to drink with me.
2: Because it's the mirror, right? It's the mirror, like Meredith was saying, yes. and them looking that it was us looking at like, oh my God, if they're not drinking with me, you know?
3: Yeah. Well, it's not yeah. only the mirror, but it's also from my aspect, when I gave someone a hard time. I wanted someone, it would justify my drinking. It would just, cause I'm like, I got a partner. We're drinking a big moon. And I'm thinking about the mirror now.
4: Like the mirror now, I just wrote about that. uh, Being sober and seeing women drinking. And that's kind of like, it saddens me. And then when I hear their voices starting to raise and slur, You know, it scares me. And I think what it's doing, is because I see myself in them. I see who I used to be. So the mirror goes both ways, right? I mean, like they're looking at us like, gosh, you know, I drink too much. And
3: we're looking at them and we're saying, we don't drink. And yes, you do. (laughs) But I don't know. Well, but I mean, and it's like at the end of the day, I had to have other people's drinking help me justify my drinking. Because if someone else was doing it, it was okay for me to do it. Yes. You know, and that was where my quote unquote pressure came from.
2: Yeah. And I think, I think Heather was saying um, that, you know, no one can do it until they're ready. Like you're the only one who can say it's a self-diagnosed disease, right? We're the only ones who can say that we're ready. But um, when I talk to people and it's, I say that, you know, you're the only one who can do it, but you don't have to do it alone. And, you know, we have this incredible support and, Part of the sober the power of choice, um, and it's really important to me when I go into high schools and stuff, is for them to try to try to remove the shame around asking for help in whatever form. And I think like you said, there's so many different ways to recover, but it starts with waving the white flag or just saying, like, even if it's to yourself, you know, with you know, um Meredith said she did it, you know, on her own and didn't go to any program or whatever. However you do it, you're admitting to yourself, like, I got to, I can't do this, Um, but it's okay. It's okay to wave the flag and ask for help. And there's no shame in saying you have a problem, Um, but it is really hard when people come to me. I, I had a lady, I was going to drive my kids to school one day, several years ago. And because I'm out, you know, and open about it, this minivan pulls up and I just assumed it's one of my friends and this lady gets out. I don't know her. She's in tears and she's like, I'm really sorry to bother you. I, I read your books and stuff. I have someone in, I, I need to help. I don't know how to help them. Their drinking's out of control. I don't know what to do. And she said it was her daughter, you know, it was like her 20 year old daughter. And, um, it's the hardest thing. I think when you have to tell people that you can't make them stop, you know, I can't do anything to make her stop until she's ready to. And and when they're ready, you know, I'll, I'll take them to meetings. I'll sit down with them or whatever, but, um, that's so hard for people to understand that you can't, you know, interventions can help immensely. For me, I had my best friend. I had my mom. I had people say to me occasionally, like, there's a lot of drinking going on. I'm like, even therapists, you know, I'm like, Hey, my whole life's falling apart, blah, blah, blah. They're like, seems to be, there's a lot of drinking. I'm like, Oh my God, that has nothing to do with it. She sucks. Get a new therapist. So, um, you know, it's not until you're ready to see it. But I tell people that, you know, when they say to me, what should I say to my friend? Her drinking's out of control. I'm seeing her just go downhill. I believe that you can plant seeds. You know, I believe that um, saying something to someone like, I really care about you. I'm concerned about your drinking. They may hate you for a while. Um, but if they hear it from, from multiple different sources and people at some point when they're really, and they know, you know, obviously they, they know, but like you said, I wasn't, I knew deep down, but I couldn't admit, I couldn't imagine my life without drinking. Um, and I used to say it was like a life sentence when I had to admit that I was an alcoholic and now I believe it's the greatest gift that I could have ever gotten in my life. So.
1: Thank you for all of that. Thank you. We are we are coming down to the end of our time. No, No. (laughs) know. Do you have any closing thoughts, any closing saying? Or, I mean, the power of choice is is obviously the the biggest one. Um, You know, is there anything that you would like to?
2: I would would just say, you know, I love what you all are doing. I'm so grateful that I've been able to do this with you today. I could talk to you for hours. Um, You are really helping a lot of people. And, and reaching a lot more than you probably realize because you just have that one person who listens to your podcast and is like, oh my God. And they share it with their friends. So keep on keeping on, um, you know, and hold on and treasure your power of choice in life. And, um, you know, I tell the kids in the high school, yeah, we're going to make bad choices, um, but we're human. And, um, you know, we have the next day to wake up and make a better choice. And for me, there's, there are things that I wish I hadn't done when I was drinking and I'm ashamed of, but I like to say I do a living amends. You know, I get up every day and just try to not pick up that drink and do the best I can and help other people with it. So, um, very grateful to you guys for having the chance to talk to you today.
4: Thank, thank you, Martha. Thank
1: you so much. Thank,
2: thank you. you. Lovely
0: to meet you. Amazing conversation. Thank you so much. Fun. Thanks
1: yes thank you we will post post all of your stuff when we post the episode so everybody knows how to get in touch with you
2: great thank you awesome
1: thanks see you soon thanks bye
3: bye
0: (laughs) thanks so much for joining us today we appreciate you and wish you the best on your sober adventures for more information and details on upcoming episodes check us out on youtube or instagram at four sober chicks. That's number four sober chicks. We welcome your feedback and look forward to being with you on the next episode.